Um, are you ready to do some uh, some It's Del Toro time, though? Yes, I am. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, I guess, just, just do oh, our, in- let's just introduce guess ourselves. Guess what? And what? I ate before this. <laughs> guess what? What? I nine before this. What? I ate nine. Oh. <laughs> it's a funny joke. I thought you were saying, I took that in the German nine. <laughs> <laughs> I nine. There was an old episode of Benny Hill. Of course, it was old because it's Benny Hill. Where Benny Hill plays this like German guy going into a German, or he's like a British officer going into a German bar, and the German bartender is all like, uh, "No, no, no!" He, sorry, he's German. He goes into a British bar, and the British bartender is all like, "Would you like a beer?" And he's all nine, and she's all nine beers, and she serves him nine beers. Funny jokes. God. <laughs> everybody, I'm Phil. And I'm Willow. And it's Del Del Toro Toro time. time. It's Del Toro time. And what are we not discussing today? Movies. At all. Yeah. There's not even a movie adaptation of what we're discussing today. No offense to the story. It's a great story. That would make a pretty boring movie. (laughs) I believe that it is optioned, though. I believe that, like, Frank Darabont or somebody was attached to it for a while to adapt. Uh, It would have been a very... I, I wonder how they would have adapted this. Boring. <laughs> Slow. Uh, or absolutely nothing like this. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, uh, Willow, what what what's the deal? What What's the dealio? Well, we can't watch movies together right now. Right. Because <laughs> of the plague. Because of the death that's going to kill us all. Uh, so I was like, watching movies is boring by myself. Yeah. So we decided to take a break. Yeah. And then you suggested that we do this because we both have a copy of The Dark Descent. And what's The Dark Descent? It's a collection of spooks and sci-fi. <laughs> yep. And also old ladies, apparently. Yes. The Dark Descent is like this ma- massive collection of horror short stories mm-hmm. uh, put together by David G. Hartwell. Uh, do you know anything about David G. Hartwell? I know a lot because I just Googled him. <laughs> okay, what can you what can you tell us in brief about Mr. Mr. Hartwell? He has one of the brightest shirts I've ever seen. <laughs> or had because he is he is He's deceased. Dead. He's dead. He he hit his head and died, unfortunately. Oh, he, oh really? Yeah. That's what it said on his Wikipedia page. He hit his head? I did not know that. Yeah. Uh uh he was hospitalized after suffering severe head trauma from a fall at home. Oh man, that's just, that's the saddest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he does have a bright t-shirt, a bright shirt. Look at that. Yeah. One of the biggest, like one of the first things I read was he enjoyed, where was it? Personal, personal life. The first sentence. Hartwell was known for flamboyant fashion choices. Yes. I'm looking, actually, I Google image searched him and there's a bunch. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of bright shirts. A man after my own heart. Well. He also dyed his hair. He did. What a cool guy. Uh, I assume. I hope there's nothing terrible about him out there. But, uh. So what what was Mr. Hartwell known for? Editing. So yeah, so he was an editor of many an anthology. Yes. I mean, he wrote. He also did some writing. Yeah. But man, he just, he did a ton of years best fantasies, years best sci-fis. I have his entire bibliography. Do you? In front of me. (laughs) It's now in chronological order. (laughs) 
You are a master of the database. I just clicked the links at the bottom of the wiki page. Where did it send you to? The Internet Sci-Fi Database? Yeah. Oh, it did. Yes, I do enjoy the Internet Sci-Fi Database. For those of you out there who've never experienced the joys of the Internet Sci-Fi Database, if you really just want to find out every single place a short story you are looking for has ever appeared, that's that's your go-to. It's amazing. Now, I don't want to, like, call anyone out. Okay. <laughs> I read a profile of him by one of his friends. All right. And, you know, it's written pretty well. There's just one part of it that drives me insane. Yes. This person who wrote this, it's short. Two times, he uses the phrase, grinning almost wolfishly. And I can't stand <laughs> that phrase <laughs> at all. Grinning almost wolfishly. And then he smiles almost, but not quite wolfishly. And I can't... <laughs> <laughs> I can't. <laughs> what is wrong with grinning almost wolfishly in your it's opinion? It's just, he's not like, I don't know, just the term wolfishly upsets me. Oh, I see. <laughs> because I, I, I associate that with like predators. Mm -hmm. And using it to describe someone engaged in conversation seems weird to me. Well, obviously someone else did not think so. Uh, because they chose to describe a person they apparently enjoyed very much uh, as, as grinning that way. Almost. Almost. So why are we discussing Mr. David G. Hartwell in the Oh, because he put this anthology together. He, what anthology? We don't know what we're talking. We're, we're working very backwards here. You, we literally said The Dark Descent. So for Christmas, I gave you a cut. You asked for a horror anthology, like a good yes. horror anthology. You gave me two. And I gave you two, both by David G. Hartwell. But the first one is The Dark Descent. And it's mm -hmm. this just, it's, it's, it's honking big. It it's is. A, it's a honking big anthology. 1,011 um, pages long. From, uh, I believe, 1987? Uh, 87 or 88. And it contains just a ton of horror stories that Hartwell considered, like, quintessential uh, in the history of, of horror. Uh, and, not, and not, but not in chronological order. Nope. Just sort of... Oh, oh, divide it up by theme. Mm -hmm. A few years after he published it, because remember, it is honkin' big. Yeah. It was republished as three separate paperbacks, uh, which were known as uh, The Color of Evil. Oh, I bet I can guess what the next one you're going to say Guess is. what the next one is. The Medusa and the Shield. And what was the next one? A Fabulous Formless Darkness. Exactly. So there's three, three paperbacks, The Color of Evil, The Medusa and the Shield, and A Fabulous Formless Darkness. All of which I own. And what's funny is, when I gave you The Dark Descent, I did not, which I knew was like a, this very well-regarded horror anthology, I did not realize that I also own it in three separate volumes. Because nowhere on the outside of these books does it say they're a part of The Dark Descent. Huh. It just says, The Color of Evil, edited by David G. Hartwell. And when you, when you open it up and you get to the title page, that's where it says The Dark Descent, Volume 1. Otherwise, you're just, you're just, it's just, it's just three horror anthologies. And so I was like looking at your collection and I was like, wait a minute, I've seen these stories together before. And that it, it stands out because of the first, because of the first story in the anthology. And yeah, I finally got my collections together. I was like, this is the same thing. This is all the same thing. This is all, <laughs> we have the same anthology. So, uh, yes, I have a lot of horror anthologies, but though this is Hartwell's and I like Hartwell's because it's very eclectic. 
And so we decided that since we can't watch movies together, uh, we're gonna we're gonna read these stories and then talk about them. And then talk about them. So, uh, what is the first first book in the anthology? The or first, first book. <laughs> the first story in the anthology. What a short book that was. Uh, it is by Stephen King, mm-hmm. and it is The Reach. And what can you tell us about Stephen King? Has anyone here heard of Mr. Stephen King? He's probably, well, it says here uh, above the story is the, most, <laughs> is the single most popular writer of horror fiction since Charles Dickens. So, yeah, I think everyone's heard of uh, That's a Stephen really King. weird way to put that. Yeah. Like, I'm like, who's the most famous horror writer? Let's not count Charles Dickens. And I'm like, do you, th- is that, that's the first person you think of? Yeah. When you, th- when you think famous horror writers? I don't actually think of anyone. <laughs> I, I would say like, since Edgar Allan Poe, or I don't know, maybe Charles Dickens, maybe a lot of people bought that Christmas ghost story, but like, I don't think of Dickens as like the Was go-to. Edgar Allan Poe well received when he started writing though? He is now. Yeah, but I think they're talking more about like, at of the time. <laughs> Well, he is a pop culture phenomenon. He's the king of horror, just as Elvis Presley was the king of rock. This is a weird... This is a, they, he should have just said, you know who Stephen King is, and left it at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is Mr. King's uh, short story, uh, The Reach, mm-hmm. which uh, originally appeared as... Uh, Do the Dead Sing. Yes. It was in the 1980, November 1981 issue of Yankee Magazine. Yankee. Yankee Magazine, I think it's still published. At one point, it was like one of the most popular magazines being printed. But it was like, it's like the kind of magazine that's like top 10 favorite flannels. So it's BuzzFeed. It's like BuzzFeed. No, 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 no. It's like articles about like, let's carve a stick into a smaller stick. Like log log cabin fun times. It's like a mix between BuzzFeed and Five Minutes Crafts. (laughs) More like Buzzkill. It's a magazine that's kind of like a... And I am totally just massacring what Yankee Magazine actually is. But it's a magazine that I had very little interest in ever in my life. (laughs) Um, Stephen King, uh, most of his early short stories were published in, like, men's magazines. It's a book about, it's a magazine about, like, New England living. Like, fall foliage and stuff like that. Like, we were in New England. And yes, it still does exist, by the way. Um, (laughs) Wow, it still has a circulation of 300,000. Damn, um, I uh, read a I read a post from someone uh, talking about New England the other day. Uh, they were saying like you read Stephen King and you're thinking he's making it all up, and then you go and you live in New England for a while, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, okay. So yeah, but it's like when I think of Stephen King's early short stories or his short stories in general, he used to be published in like nudie mags, like Adam magazine. Like wasn't ma- that really common though for oh, yeah. horror and stuff? Oh totally, yeah, just like. Whatever would pay you, uh, whoever needed to fill their pages with text so they weren't, like, pulled from circulation for being pure pornography. Like, mm-hmm. and yeah, so he sold a bunch of his stories. Uh, back in the early days of, like, his, like, anthologies, he was just, his collections of short stories, he'd always be like, I don't have any original copies of these anymore, so if anyone ever finds an old magazine with it in it. But, uh, so yeah, so it was originally called Do the Dead Sing. He always wanted to call it The Reach, so when he it came time for him to republish it in... Uh, in one of his own, I think, Night Shift, mm-hmm. he uh, he changed it back to The Reach. And also, as he does, substantially rewrote it. Oh, yeah. So if you ever want to read the original version of The Reach, you're going to have to find the November 1981 copy of Yankee Magazine on, like, eBay. It's probably and in, like, some database at some point by now. I've looked. Oh, I've looked. 
you gotta you gotta buy that Yankee magazine, and it's expensive because it's the one with a Stephen King story in it. Maybe my library has it at school. So this is an interesting story to kick off a massive horror anthology with. Yes, yes, it is. Why? Uh, well, I mean, I guess in some ways it could be considered horror. Uh huh. Like I can see how the the subtle threat of impending death could spook some people. Right. But as someone who is living as an 18-year-old, death seems pretty far away. <laughs> yep. Even though culturally we are surrounded by the threat of death. It's kind of just about an old lady. This is a story that I, of course, have read many times in my later life. But when I first read it when I was in junior high, I was like, well, never need to read this again. This is, this is not scary at all. And I just flipped to the next story. Um, now... I shimmy and shake, and I cry copious tears every <laughs> single time I read this story. It is, to me, it is incredibly moving and frightening. I think the scariest part for me wasn't even because of, like, the threat of death. It's because of my, like, severe medical anxiety uh-huh. and reading symptoms and stuff like that always freaks me out yeah and there was some discussion of some symptoms in there right especially near the end yeah and that was upsetting so a quick rundown uh this is about a old woman named stella flanders she's 95 and she lives on goat island which is uh like just near portland maine it's it's like right off the coast of maine the island is separated from the mainland by the reach which is a large body of water Yep. <laughs> it's basically just like a body of water that separates like two land masses. Yeah. Except um, for it's not a river. Right. Or uh, a lake. It is not a lake uh, at, at all. It's a reach. And I think it's kind of like a, I, I assume that's more of like a Northeast, like New Englandy area expression. Yeah. Um, because even she acknowledges in the short story that it might not be one that people are familiar with anymore. Like she thinks mm-hmm. that her, her grandchildren would ask to have it explained to her. Yeah. She's never left Goat Island in her, in her entire life, uh, even though she's been tempted to, even though like people have asked her like to do it. She just, she never had a reason to leave. And now she is at the end of her life mm-hmm. and she starts seeing things like her dead husband, <laughs> except for he's young again. Yeah, he's not like a scary monster. No, he's not like a ghost. Like, well, he is like a ghost, but he's not like a creepy ghost. Yeah. Most of the story is told as sort of a series of like flashbacks to her life mm-hmm. that fill in kind of fill you in on on who this woman is and what she's experienced there's a lot of death yeah and all the people in her life who've kind of passed out of her life mm-hmm. and just like how that goes like her best friend her husband various just neighbors and this story isn't very long no it's 15 pages oh and by the way i was wrong it was not this was not in night shift this is in skeleton crew his short his book yeah short i have skeleton night crew. shift and i was yeah. like i don't know what you're talking about but okay <laughs> this story even though it is very short names and goes into about 50 different characters yep you get to, and you don't just they don't he doesn't just, just toss them off you kind of get to know some of these people pretty well Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of them died in some of them in horrible ways, some of them in stupid ways. Some of them get murdered. Some of them get murdered. Some of them are wee babies yep. who are killed by their midwife mm-hmm. uh, for various reasons. But uh, a lot of the themes in this story are about like how 
people in this sort of isolated community take care of each other, they forgive each other, they they remember one another, and they mourn for one another, and then they move on with their lives. Mm -hmm. There's like a description of funerals that are just like, you have your funeral, you sing your song, you go to the basement of the church, you have like... Cream cheese sandwiches. (laughs) You have cream cheese sandwiches, and you go on the next day, and you get on with living. Mm -hmm. So Stella, she seems like a nice enough woman. Yeah. Pretty fair person. Just she, She's never had an exciting life. She has a son who lives with her. Alden? Alden. And yeah, her husband was Bill. Her son is Alden. And he's like, he's like 60 or so. He's like, yeah, yeah, he's up there. She's, she's 95. So. Right. So he's, a, he's still is at home. There's a few characters who get covered extensively. And, uh, and what is her best friend from childhood? Is it Annabelle? Maybe. Well, they talk a lot about her best friend and her best friend's husband. And I mean, as you can see, there's not like a whole lot of story story. It's mostly filling in the gaps of this community. Mm-hmm. You do find, we alluded to this, two anecdotes. Yes. One about a little baby. Uh, the baby was born with some disability. Yeah, uh, it's referred to as something uh, very un-PC now. Uh, yeah. So it was uh, basically you could tell it was born with severe, severe disability. Yeah. Uh, and what happened to that baby? They killed it. Yeah. So it was delivered by a midwife. They invited the uh, the mother out of the room. Mm-hmm. And while she was out of the room, the midwife somehow killed the baby and they buried it uh, as if it were a natural death. And then the next story in that little section is about a man, a man named Daniels. Who deserved it. Who was caught uh, for molesting three little girls. Yep. Uh, And they sort of take you through the whole story of like how he was inappropriate with these little girls. And they identified, they described the man. They found out who it was. And what happened to him? They killed him. They killed him. And his death was blamed on an accident. And he was actually Mm -hmm. given a funeral and buried on the island uh, as if he just died of an accident. And Even the former reverend was in on it. And life went on. Uh, yeah, I think Alden was in on it. No, her, her husband and Alden, yeah. Yeah, Bill and Alden. Like, every, all the men just got together and quietly killed this man. <laughs> Didn't get the authorities involved. And that's this whole chapter, is this whole little section, not even chapter, this section of the short story about how, like, the island cares for its own. Like, you care for your own. Like, and even yeah. the death of the baby is presented as, like, this, like, tragic mercy that they... Because there's no services on the island. Like, and I'm not saying it was right, but, like... Yeah. And she's not even saying it was right, but it was just the function of the island. And everyone just kind of works together. And you you just... You do what has to be done. And anyone familiar with Stephen King's way of writing about New England is familiar with this sort of attitude of, like, you just... You, You do the ugly work and you get on with your life. Well, like this seems like a very, very small town. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, no joke considering Stephen King wrote this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Stella starts seeing all these ghosts. This is and only once. uh, So uh, one of the themes is only once in in her life has the reach ever frozen. Mm -hmm. And when it did, her husband and his friend walked across the reach and they invited her along and she declined to go but they walked across and at the time that was like what you walked across the reach all the way to the mainland because you can see the mainland like from your window like you can Mm -hmm. and with a pair of binoculars you can like make out like signs and stuff like it's not terribly far away as like as a crow flies but uh it's a body of water and and so only once in history has it ever frozen that she knows of and that was this one winter that was brutal and it didn't snow. Or it snowed the first winter. It didn't snow this winter. And then the reach freezes. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And when it freezes, it's not like fun. Like the like the ice skaters try to go out, and it, but it's frozen all wobbly like. Mm-hmm. So it's just like this sort of like weird event that happens. Like all of a sudden there it is. And people go out. I guess two guys go out in their like, sled. They, they crash through the ice. Like it's not frozen enough. And uh, then they die. Well, one of them dies. One of the guys dies. Like it's just that's just life. And like they have his funeral and life goes on. How many funerals does that make it in this story? Now? There's a lot of funerals in this story. Uh, in a way, it reminds me of there's a there's a very famous play called The Playboy of the Western World, and it's a, it's an Irish play, and in Ireland, uh, because so many of the men were fishermen, uh, wakes and funerals were just part of daily life. Like you'd go out, mm-hmm. and just another guy wouldn't return, so you'd have your you'd have your wake, and that story is sort of built around funerals and. Uh, wakes especially and that reminds me a lot of this like it's this sort of funeral based community because you're surrounded by water and people are going to go out and they're going to die or you're very isolated from the hospital so yeah and it seems like the town is slowly dwindling yes as well because the young people are moving away so the town is slowly dying itself (laughs) right there's this great theme of like loss and but also like loss as just part of progress like people are the, the goat island she lives on is not doesn't resemble the goat island she grew up on as much anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the reach freezes and she's been seeing the ghosts of her husband and he's been calling to her and he keeps asking her, do you love? And that's like kind of the recurring. That's a recurring theme in Skeleton Crew, actually. Stephen King rewrote a lot of the short stories in Skeleton Crew to incorporate this phrase, do you love? And it has like different meanings depending on which story you're reading it in. But... But she keeps like being asked, like, do you love? Do you love? And that's like this like weird like question that keeps like sort of popping up. And she keeps saying, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of heartbreaking. Like this mm-hmm. woman who's in her mid 90s, like she doesn't she can't even tell you if she has ever actually loved in her life. Um, and so one night uh, it just sort of like the, the, the time is right. She's and, and tell us about her medical condition. So what's. She has cancer. Yeah. Um, you pretty much find out at the end that she kind of has cancer of the everything. Yeah. Um, but she's known for years that she has cancer. And it's like mm-hmm. it's like old people cancer, like where like you get so old, you're like, well, I'm not going to call a doctor. Like, what's the point? Like, yeah. what are they going to do? Put me in surgery that's going to like be worse than the disease? Yeah. So she just kind of keeps her eye on it. Like she'll have blood. She'll just deal with it she doesn't tell anyone about it it's just part of her life and she goes on about the, her about her business mm-hmm. um but this one night or it's even like no it's not night it's a day it's just one day she just puts on her husband's long johns and his hat throws on her it. sons oh it's her sons right right because right, it's not her husband's because that comes up yeah she puts on her son's like warm clothes and a big coat throws on a hat and she just decides to set out across the reach yep and uh, that's kind of like the final chunk of this story is her journey across the reach. Yeah, her journey through the snowstorm. <laughs> yeah, because it begins snowing and then she loses her way, mm-hmm. kind of. And But her husband taught her how to navigate in a snowstorm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like you let your, you let your dominant leg go, la- go limp. Mm-hmm. You act as if it's been hurt so you don't favor it anymore because otherwise you'll yeah. walk in a circle. Even when she realizes that she has been, like, favoring her dominant leg, that's when she, like, lets it go limp and she mm-hmm. 
straightens out. She's trying to make it across to the mainland. It becomes whiteout conditions. Eventually she starts falling. Mm -hmm. And that's when the ghost of her husband appears and helps her up. Mm -hmm. And then she falls again. The the hat keeps trying to get away as well. Right. Well, it is like the wind keeps trying to take the hat. No, 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 no. No. The hat keeps trying to get away. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. It keeps talking and saying like, let me, let me go. Please, please, let me go free. No, uh, yeah. The wind is, yeah. The hat almost keeps like leaving her head. And finally it does. And what happens? Her husband is like, hey, have my hat. Yeah, like he puts his ghost hat on her. Ghost hat. And, but she keeps falling and eventually like her best friend helps her up. Mm-hmm. Like bit by bit, more and more ghosts appear on the reach. Mm-hmm. And they kind of just walk with her yeah. till she finds a place to sit. And that's when she realizes she's made it to the other side. It just says, Stella, she heard voices, but was not sure they actually spoke. Hmm. Um, I just say, I'm going to say singing because it sounds better. Well, and it says at the end uh, mm-hmm. that as the wind screams around it, some kind of song burst from her. And they all sang then as children will sing in their high, sweet voices as mm-hmm. a summer evening draws down to summer night. They yeah. sang and Stella felt herself going to them and with them finally across the reach. If you want me to cry in a story, be it a movie, a play, a novel, a short story, what have you. All you have to do is have a scene at the end where the ghosts of everyone you've lost along the way show back up in a group to comfort one of the main characters. That is it. That is like one of my biggest buttons. Yep. Longtime companion did it. Oh God, I'm blanking now. The 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 nonfiction story Isaac's Storm about the Galveston hurricane did it. Uh, this does it. A million other stories have done it, and I just I'm a blubbery mess at the end. It's it, uh, for me. It's when like the main character is like a kid, and their mom shows back up after dying, mm-hmm. like as a like as a spirit. Oh like, comfort- yeah. That's just that's where it gets me. That wrecks me too. So. <laughs> And she starts, and it's when she starts noticing, so Annabelle shows up to help mm-hmm. her out. So Bill is there, Annabelle is there, uh, and it says... I like the description of Annabelle's dress. What does it say? The yellow dress, which had been considered daring in its day, but to Annabelle's credit and to everyone else's relief, not quite a scandal. Yeah, and it capitalizes daring and scandal. Like, those are yep. titles. And it says, uh, Tommy Frame had joined Annabelle, Big George Havelock, who had died a dog's death in the woods, walked behind mm-hmm. Bill... There was the fellow who had kept the lighthouse on the head for more, most of 20 years and who used to come over to the island during the cribbage tournament Freddie Dinsmore held every February. Stella could almost but not quite remember his name. And that was Freddie himself. Walking off to one side of Freddie by himself and looking bewildered was Russell Bowie. I think Russell Bowie was the guy who fell through the ice. Yeah. And was a little embarrassed by it. Annabelle, Freddie, Russell, John, Eddie, Frank. Take my hand, take my hand, my hand. And then Bull Symes shows up. Uh, he, he was a character who got talked about. And uh, and he's like, that's who, when she said it's time. And she cries at that moment. She bursts into tears. And it says repeatedly throughout the story that things had happened and she hadn't cried about it. Yeah. And now she cries. When they find her body, they find her wearing her husband's hat. And only her son, of course, realizes this. And some of the other people in the... Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. That it was, I guess in that community, you would recognize someone's hat. 
was Alden to tell David and Lois that the cap on her head had not been his. Larry McKean had recognized that cap, so had John Benson. He had seen it in their eyes, and he supposed they would have seen it in his. He had not lived long enough to forget his dead father's cap, the look of its bill, or the places where the visor had been broken. But one of the things that she says when she's dying is she takes Bull's hand, and she says, yes, yes, I will. Yes, I did, and yes, I do. Yes, I will, yes, I did, yes, I do. Finally answering the question, do you love? And I think it took her that full extent of her life to realize that that she will always love, that she did always love, and that she does love. There's a commentary, I've read several commentaries on this story, because it's been written about by different people, blogged about. And there was one by a, uh, by a reverend who did a blog post about it, um, saying this is probably the most religious short story that Stephen King ever wrote. Not explicitly religious, but that mm-hmm. sort of addresses the notion of life after death from a, from a, like, a, don't worry, you're going somewhere, you won't be forgotten, and your love will live on after you. Like, the love you experienced throughout your life was important, and it did affect people. And... I think one of the reasons this story affects me a lot now is, of course, I'm older and I do worry a lot about this kind of stuff. I worry about dying. I worry about the people I leave behind and I worry, has have I made an impact? And I think that one of the brilliant things about this story is that this woman who never left her home, uh, she stayed in the same island her entire life, still had an impact simply <laughs> by loving and for being loved and loving in return like that was that was enough uh and her son uh her son realizes this at the end uh do the dead Mm -hmm. sing and do they love and on those long nights alone with his mother stella flanders at long last in her grave it often seemed to alden that they did both um and it's a it's a very gentle story to begin a an anthology called The Color of Evil. Yep. (laughs) You pick it up, there's a skull on the cover peeking out between two cracks, like, hello. It's like The Color of Evil, written in like these like bloody jagged letters. I think I I know exactly what book you're talking about. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think it's fascinating that Hartwell was like, this is it, this is... This is a this is the perfect story to begin to begin a discussion of horror with mm-hmm. because it is so gentle and I think it's about like the horror of just simply confronting the fact of death and yeah. and the 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 notion of loss and the fear of of leaving everyone you loved behind and the horror of wondering was my life well lived and confronting that question, I don't know. Like, what do you think about it? Well, I was doing some internet browsing because that's what I do in my spare time because I'm a teenager. Uh-huh. Uh, and I came across, I can't remember what it's from, but there was a quote that really stuck with me. It's not a quote. Well, it is a quote from the post, but it was not quoted, you know? Yeah. Okay. And it said, if nothing you do matters, then the only thing that matters is what you do. And how did this and, and how did this story make you reflect on that? Well, I don't believe in anything, uh, <laughs> but I don't not believe in anything. I think there are too many questions that will never be answered by anything. Yeah. Um, I'd like to think there's something after death. Mm-hmm. J- 
just because it's a comforting thought. But I honestly don't know. What's interesting is in recent years, King has gone back. Uh, he doesn't touch on like beyond like just having ghosts. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't really touch on the afterlife much. Mm-hmm. Um, but most very recently in the last like, you know, like five or so years, he did uh, the novel Revival, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I think it's I think it's a it's a devastating book, but it's it touches on what happens after death. And it is devastatingly pessimistic compared to the reach. It is, it is not what you want to read if you are looking uh, for anything comforting. And I, I find it interesting that this story, which he wrote when he was in his early thirties, mm-hmm. but which is about like the reflections of a of a of a vastly older person reflecting on death, that this story is the one that is the most like positive forward looking and that the uh and that the later story in his in his in his career is the one that's like nothing good's coming up nothing good is going to come of this i actually think that makes sense in my opinion it feels like it makes sense yeah i just think that as as when you get older you get more pessimistic that's just something i've noticed Uh (laughs) and i feel like the closer you get to death, the more anxious you get about it, and the more your mind floats to all of these horrible possibilities. Do you think I've gotten more pessimistic as I've gotten older? I don't know. I'm a, I, I only remember you from my childhood, and I was a weird child. <laughs> we ha- I had a complicated upbringing. I wasn't exactly... <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I knew exactly how everyone was feeling all the time. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> probably unfair to expect you to, to to know exactly what was going on um so this book uh was published in the story was published in of course the dark descent it was published in skeleton crew and in the and in the dark descent uh color of evil i just realized that uh if you get the british edition of the color of evil it does say the dark descent on the on the cover but it's spelled color of evil like they do in like they do in england stupid <laughs> englanders <laughs> they've also this was repri- re- the color of evil was reprinted in uh in 2016 uh uh with a with a different order like they rearranged they rearranged the orders of the short stories which i find Why? unjustifiable so <laughs> honestly so we are why would you do that so we are definitely using the original order um because otherwise it would be confusing uh mm-hmm. so speaking of Speaking of the original order, uh, Willow, what is the next story in the anthology? Evening Primrose by John Collier. 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 The uh, Evening Primrose by John Collier, which I am looking forward to discussing because it is a... (laughs) It's even shorter than this one. It's very short. It's very weird. And it's going to be very fun to talk about because there is a musical based on this short story. Oh, no. (laughs) Written by Stephen Sondheim. That oh, is yes. A very short TV musical based on a horror short story that plays like a Twilight Zone episode, written by Stephen Sondheim, starring Anthony Perkins of Psycho fame. 
join us for that, I guess. I guess. Uh, and if you want to get your hands on a copy of this of this anthology, it is available used in many locations. So until then, until we take a deep dive into that dark, dark, depressing department store, uh, I'm Phil. And I'm Willow. And we'll see you when it's Del Toro time. time.